What is up, everybody? My name is Matt Cordova. I'm the senior pastor here at The River, and we are excited that you are listening to our podcast. Now, before the message starts, there's three things that we would love for you to do. One, we would love for you to share it. Two, we would love for you to subscribe. And three, we would love for you to go and rate it. So the message is about to begin. I hope it encourages you, and I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. We are going to continue in the book of Daniel. Um, realistically, this has been a series that's been on my heart for a long time, uh, just because I think what's going on in Daniel looks so much like what's going on in the world today. You know I mean, it's a pagan culture. They don't believe in God. They're trying to remove God from these uh, four young men's lives. So what we want to do is look at the, the book of Daniel and say, okay, so if my culture mirrors this culture, then how am I supposed to live in this culture? You know what I mean? Because I think the book of Daniel is intentionally in the Bible. Every book in the Bible is intentionally in the Bible. We need to hear stuff. Even books like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers are still relevant today. Y'all hear me? Have you ever tried to read those? They're tough, right? They are hard. They make you question life decisions. But they're still in the Bible for a reason. So we want to look at this, learn how we're supposed to live in today's age, but also see how God moves. Because there's something I think we need to hold on to. And it's the fact that despite that the culture doesn't value God or look like God, God is still moving in the middle of that culture. He's moving in the lives of those, uh, that, of those that are determined to live their life for Him. You know what I mean? And I think that should be hope for us today. It's hard to be a follower of Jesus and be hopeless. Because we have the greatest message in the world. Right? We have the greatest message that for, for believers, this is not the end of the road for me. But also for believers, I have the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave inside of me, and God still chooses to move and use humanity. You know what's crazy? Read the Bible. You won't find a spot where the Holy Spirit moves uh, separate from humanity. What does that mean? God's chosen vehicle for revealing his kingdom and for revealing his goodness is a people who are determined to live their life for him, despite what's going on around them. So if you got a Bible, open up to Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 16. While you're turning there, let me give you some information. Daniel chapter 1, we looked at this last week. Babylon takes over Israel. They destroy the temple. They take stuff from the temple, and they're trying to remove the culture from four young men, right? But the, the Bible says this. It says they were determined. Everybody say determined. They were resolute. They were steadfast. They were not going to shift. So it says they were determined not to defile themselves, not to give in to the culture. And it says that the end result was that God blessed them. God gave them favor with certain leaders, and then he gave them gifts that they'll use in the kingdom. For example, in the next chapter, Daniel chapter 2, the king whose name is Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream, and it troubles him. And in this dream, he sees this giant statue made up of four different uh, types of material. And each of these materials represent different kingdoms. Now, if you remember from last week, who has the gift of dream interpretation? Daniel. Where did he get it? God. What does that mean? That the gifts God gives you are to be used right where you are. Listen, you didn't come into a place where God didn't just position you somewhere and, and just say, hey, make it through this life. I'll see you when you get to my end of things. No, God gave you a gift to be used right where you are. God did not put you where you are by accident. God established you right where you are so that you can use your gifts and point people to him. 
Are y'all awake this morning? Y'all like Mother's Day, too much muffins, carb loaded, guys. So here's what happens. In this dream, four different materials, right, represent four different ruling kingdoms. This statue gets destroyed by a little stone. And this stone turns into a mountain. Hello, Jesus. Hello, the kingdom of God. Right? So let's pick up in chapter 3. It's going to have three very familiar names. We teach our kids this story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is what it says. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the furnace, the God whom we serve is able. Everybody say he is able. He is able. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the statue that you've set up. I want to talk from this title. I want to talk from even if. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, even, even if. Let's pray. So dearly, Father God, man, we just thank you for today. God, we thank you for this time to get to celebrate moms, God, and I pray uh, that you would just stir up our faith this morning. God, that we would realize that you have positioned us divinely, not accidentally, but on purpose to make a difference right where we are. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So in chapter one, we talked about this. It says that they were determined, right? They were determined. I think even if is a statement of determination. You know what I mean? Have you like, think about it. If I'm saying even if, like I'm going to do something even if, I'm saying that no matter what happens, no matter what the end result is, I'm going to see something through, right? Whether the end result is good or the end result is bad, even if it's bad, I'm still going to do it. Some of your teenagers live their life based on this. I may get in trouble. Even if I do, I'm still going to make a bad decision or a good one. Let's, let's be optimistic, guys. Come on. Stay with me, right? Uh, but what I'm learning, because it's a statement of determination, I'm learning, I think some of the most determined people in the world are babies and toddlers. Baby, yes, all my parents said, amen. Some of y'all are just getting the gray hairs to go away from when they were kids, right? Does that happen? Anyways, um, babies, toddlers, they, they start figuring out the world, you know, then they start crawling, and then it's like, it doesn't matter how many locks you have on what, they find their way into things that they're not supposed to be in. You know what I mean? You put stuff over the, the, over the, the electrical outlets. They're still trying to put their finger in there. You know what I mean? You're trying to keep them out of the pantry. I thought that didn't happen until they were teenagers. Boy, I was wrong. You know what I mean? Uh, Juju is one of the most determined people that I've ever met. Juju has some weird fascination with our dog bowl, right? I don't know what it is. Juju has a weird, it, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Um, if he sees the dog bowl, Juju's going after the dog bowl. It doesn't matter what's going on. So Juju is, let me kind of let you into the mind of Juju, right? Juju sees the dog bowl and he's like, there's the dog bowl. I'm going to get the dog bowl even if it's full of water. Guess who cleans that bad boy up? No, it's probably Alexis. It's going to be real. You know what I mean? Like, but it's like, even if there's water in the dog bowl, I'm going to get it up and I'm going to hold it above my head and I'm going to let you know I picked it up. Even if there's dog food in the dog bowl, he's going to get the dog bowl and he may try some. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Looks like Cheerios to him. You know what I mean? Just like, if, listen, if you didn't eat dog food as a kid, you didn't live life. I'm just saying. Good source of protein. There's a reason we give it. I'm just kidding. Uh, 
Don't quote me on that. Can we move that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's another one. Even if the dog is eating from the dog bowl, Juju's going to get the, the risk of getting bit. Notice all of those situations, there's a risk, right? Even if, usually when there's an even if associated, there's a risk involved. The first one, I'm getting the dog bowl, even if it's full of water, I might get soaked. Mom and dad might get mad, right? Water everywhere, still doing it. I think Bradley has the same mindset now that I think about it. <laughs> even if there's food in the dog bowl, I might make a mess. I might try it, still doing it. Even if the dog might let me know that this is his food and not mine, I'm still going to do it. So if even if is a statement that reveals determination, then what that shows me is if we don't have an even if, then there may be things that we're not determined about. There may be things in our life that we may not, or maybe we're determined about the wrong things. I'm going to do this even if it doesn't look what the Bible says, like what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. I'm going to say this even if it doesn't represent what somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit should look like. You know what I mean? So let's dive into the story. Here's how it starts. At the beginning of chapter 3, we looked at, at, at verse 16. We're gonna, I'm going to kind of storytell today, right? we got story time with Matt this morning. This is how it goes. At the beginning of this story, the king is going to build a giant statue. And this is how big the statue is. It's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. So it's about my height. You know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it's huge. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Now, here's where it gets interesting. This statue is made entirely of gold. You're like, well, why is that interesting? Well, in chapter 2, remember I told you the four different kingdoms made with four different um, materials? The Babylon culture was gold in the dream. So essentially, for him to build a statue made of gold is for him to spit in the face of the dream interpretation. He's basically saying, the king is basically saying this, I don't care what my dream says and I don't care what your interpretation says. My king, my kingdom is going to last forever. That's what he's saying, right? So talk about spitting in the face of God to start the story. The king is already there. He makes this statue and then he makes this decree. This is what it is. It, it, because this statue is in place, and because we built it, and because our kingdom's never going to end, whenever you hear the band play, it's a, the Bible gives a list of instruments, whenever you hear the band play, you are to stop doing whatever you're doing, bowed on the ground, and to worship this statue. And it doesn't matter if you're Babylonian. He's like, all nations are supposed to do this. Babylon is the biggest nation in history. They're the superpower at the time. Right? It would have been the equivalent of Egypt during Moses' story or Rome during Jesus' time. Right? During Daniel's time period, Babylon is, is the, the ruling superpower. So it's, it's like, it doesn't matter what nation you come from, because you're in our empire, when you hear the sounds, you better, you better bow down and worship. Doesn't matter what language you speak, you better bow down and worship. And when, when there's a decree like this, there's often a consequence associated. Right? Because how many of you know there's some rebellious people out in the world? If you have toddlers, you know what I'm talking about. Teenagers. I heard kids lose their mind at 13. It's a theory. Not there yet. Right? But I heard teenagers lose their mind at 13. Like we've all seen rebellion. Some of us have lived it. You know what I mean? So if there are any rebellious people, this is what the Bible says. It says they're immediately. Everybody say immediately. Hold on to that word. Hold on to the word immediately. It says they're supposed to be immediately thrown into a furnace. So, so imagine 
one day, like the decree's out, it's kind of been established, it's been put in practice, the golden statue's there, it's in the middle, like a central location so that people can see it, so that they can worship it, and then all of a sudden, everybody hears the musical instruments play, right? One day, the musical instruments go, it starts happening, everybody stops and, and drops what they're doing, drops to their knees, starts bowing down, starts worshiping this statue. Now, let's think about this. If somebody was to stand up when everybody else is supposed to worship, that would be super noticeable, wouldn't it? I mean, if everybody's laying down on their face and there are people standing up not worshiping, it's not like they're trying to hide their rebellion. You know what I'm saying? Well, this is what happens, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they commit, they're determined. Remember in the first chapter, they're not going to give up God's standard for their cultures. So they, they're determined not to worship this false statue, this golden idol. So what happens is, is it's a lot like in youth ministry. In youth ministry, we'll do this thing like when we deliver the gospel, we're like, all right, everybody, close your eyes, bow your heads. And if you want to give your life to the Lord, raise your hand. And there's always peekers, like true story. There's always somebody, oh, I saw they just now gave their life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, that's going on. These guys, these other, they're called astronomers or Babylonians or Chaldeans would be, depending on your translation, they see that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down to the idols. So what they do is they set up a meeting with the king. They say, hey, king, you remember that decree you made? Yeah, I like it. You remember what's supposed to happen if people don't follow that decree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I made that too. Well, let me tell you about these three Jewish guys that you gave positions in the kingdom. It's funny because commentators think that these people were jealous of the Jews, which makes sense, right? Because remember in chapter one, it says that they stood out above the rest. And when the king consulted with them, they were 10 times better than everybody else. So there's probably some jealousy going on. And it's funny, their attack came on their faith. That's probably what's going to happen with us. Sometimes in the future, especially as our culture moves further and further from God, oftentimes the greatest attacks in our life are going to be on what we believe. But are, I mean, are we determined? Are we determined? So, so the, the, they tell the king, and it says that the king is enraged. He's furious. These guys that I gave positions... They're not going to follow my instruction. You know what's interesting is they were supposed to be getting their God system removed from them. They weren't supposed to be worshiping Yahweh. They were supposed to be worshiping the, the Babylonian gods. And here again, they're not. They're standing up on their faith. They're determined, again, not to defile themselves. So the king brings them up and he says, hey, these are the charges brought against you. Are they true? And then he, and then he gives them a second chance. That part's interesting to me. Because remember, when if, if somebody disobeyed the decree, they were immediately, right? Immediately supposed to be thrown in the furnace. Why would the king give them a second chance? Probably because he had a good relationship with them. Probably because they had influence with the king. Why? Probably because of what happened in chapter 1. Where they didn't defile themselves and God made them stand out. Listen, we got to hold on to that. Sometimes the greatest influence that God is going to give you is going to be solely based on how well you just stick to following him and obeying his commands. 
If we believe that God divinely positions people, then why not follow him? You know what God tells Joshua? This is interesting. God tells Joshua this. He says, hey, I want you to uh, put the law on your heart, the book of the law. That's the first five books of the Bible. That's all they had at this time when he tells him this. He says, I don't want you to turn to the left or turn to the right. It's the same language as crossing through the Red Sea. It says that water came up on the left and came up on the right. So imagine Joshua hearing this. He says, I want you to get the law in your heart. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. He could be thinking about walking through the Red Sea, how there was no place to turn but to walk straight. And he tells him, if you will do it, if you'll see it through and you'll meditate it, don't let it stop coming out of your mouth. He tells him, you'll be successful in all that you do. Joshua lived to be 110 years old, and he was successful in everything that he did. Why? Because he obeyed what God told him to do during his leadership. You see that? James echoes the same thing. The book of James, that's New Testament. He says, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers. Because a hearer is like somebody who sees what they're originally supposed to look like, and they forget. Church, how many of us have forgotten what God's called us to be? Let me remind you, it's in Genesis 1 and 2. Be fruitful, multiply, be God's image here on the earth, right? And he tells him this, no, no, a, a doer is somebody who persists, persists to keep moving forward even though I may fail. So a doer is somebody who persists and they will be blessed in what they do. It's the same thing, same thing. So here you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego persisting. They're enduring. They've got perseverance. They're not turning to the left. They're not turning to the right. God's law is on their heart. And the king gives them a second chance. And then this is where it gets interesting because he reminds them. He's like, listen, if you don't do it, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And then look at the end of verse 15 with me. This is interesting. He says, and then all the way down at the bottom, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Talk about a showdown, right? You know what Nebuchadnezzar just did with that statement? You know what he's saying? He's like, you better like bow down and worship my idol because there's not a God on this planet that can stop me from killing you. That's what he's telling them. There's nobody big enough. There's not a God out there, whether in Egypt or Rome or your God or my God, that can stop me from taking your life. So basically, what we're about to watch is not God, uh, like Nebuchadnezzar versus Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What we're about to watch is God versus Nebuchadnezzar, right? The same thing happens in in Egypt. Pharaoh thought himself to be a god. And the only reason that he didn't let them go, the Bible says he's going to harden their heart, right? But it was because Pharaoh had already done it. So God would do something, turn the water, the Nile into blood. And then what did it say? The magicians came and did the same thing. Oh, we can do the same thing as your God. You're nobody, your God's not bigger than us. It was never God versus Moses. It was God versus Pharaoh. We're watching history repeat itself. Anybody remember how it went for Pharaoh? He can't swim very well. You know what I mean? If we look, oh, that's, that's such an exciting thing. Because that's what the stories in the Old Testament are supposed to do for us. To remind us that when there's Pharaohs or kings that don't follow God, threaten us saying that they, thinking that they're a God, We know that God moves on our behalf. Church, we shouldn't panic no matter what happens in the future. Why? Because it doesn't matter how big our president or any monarch, whatever, all over the world thinks that they are. Yahweh's still the biggest. 
Yahweh's still the creator. Yahweh's still in control. Everything he says comes to pass. He keeps his promises. That's why I'm saying like Christians should never live hopeless. Why? Because we serve a God who does what he says he's going to do. He does what he says he's going to do. So, okay, so the guys, they finally speak up, right? He says, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance. You bow down. You worship my idol. And basically, like, if you don't, listen, there's not a God in this place that can stop me. I'm going to take you out. It's going to happen. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abingo, they speak up. Verse 16, it says that they replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Church, listen, we don't need to defend ourselves in front of anybody that doesn't believe in Jesus. We don't. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say something. Hear my heart. If somebody doesn't believe in Jesus, you can't throw the Bible at them. Because they don't believe in it in the first place. They could have quoted the law at Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't. All it says, listen, I don't need to defend myself in front of you. I don't. I don't owe you an explanation. I'm just going to follow my king. Right? He says, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. He says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who is able, everybody say, he's able. He is able to, uh, the God whom we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the gold statue. Come on. Is anybody getting pumped up, like excited a little bit? You mean, like, okay, what usually happens if you defy a king? Death. Anybody watch me off with their head in that, like, what's that called? In that, like, Alice in Wonderland or something like that? You know what I mean? Come on, we got to be cultured, people. I'm just kidding. But, like, they're like, we don't need to defend ourselves. Why? Because the God that I serve is able. Come on, when is the last time we reminded ourselves that God is able to move in whatever we're going through? Are you in a pit? Awesome. There's plenty of stories where God took people from pits to palaces, right? Are you in a struggle? Awesome. There's plenty of stories where God moves in the middle of people's struggle, marriages in the rocks, or we uh, experience loss, all of these different things. The Bible is full of stories of God moving and moving and moving and moving. Uh. So they're like, listen, I, I don't owe, king, I don't owe you an explanation. Why? Because the God I serve is able. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your statue. Can I, can I tell you my prayer for believers across the world is that we have an even if faith. Because for most of us, we get mad when God doesn't respond the way that we wanted him to in the timeline that he does or that we want him to. For many of us, there's not an even if. You know what I mean? For them, their determination is they're like, even at the cost of my life, I'm going to continue worshiping the one true God. Like, look, God is able. You throw us in the furnace, awesome. God is able. You know what that implies? He may not move. He may not take me from the furnace. That's what that implies. Are you in a struggle? He may not do something. You know what I mean? For many of us, there's things that we've prayed for for a long time, and they didn't happen. Was God able? Yes. 
Does that mean God doesn't love you? No. Just because things don't happen our way doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Don't we get mad at our teenagers for that or our children for that? Oh, you're upset because you didn't get what you want. We call that what? Childish. Isn't, isn't that what we do? I mean, and, and when it comes to our faith, is that sometimes how we are? God, I prayed for this. How come you didn't come through? Can you handle my no sometimes? I, I, I love this text because my prayer for us is that we would become an even if church. That no matter what, if, if we, uh, we pray for blessing and, I, and God is somebody that wants to bless but we need to understand that we got the fulfillment of blessing at the finished work of the cross and the resurrection. Why are you blessed? Because as of right now or the moment that I said yes to Jesus, I have everlasting life. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you have everlasting life. Why are you blessed? Because I know that when my time is here, it starts with him there. That's a blessing. You know what I mean? There are scriptures, Jesus, that we don't like to quote in, in churches. You know, Jesus said, in this life, you will have struggles. You want me to tell you what Peter says about pastoring? <laughs> he goes, pastor, shepherd well where you are. And after you've suffered a little bit. <laughs> Anybody want to sign up for that job? <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's what he says about pastoring. Is it, it, but it's, it's just an echo of what Jesus said about life. Is that sometimes life gets hard. And what ends up happening is we like to define, like, it, we'll, we'll get into this spot where we're like, well, life is hard, so God must not be with me. I've been praying. God hasn't been speaking. His silence is an absence. Sometimes in God's silence, he's just waiting to see if he'll do what, he, what he's already told you to do in the first place. I mean, for many of us, the reason he sounds silent is because God told us to do something. We're like, nah, I don't want to do that. Okay. But then don't get mad when you don't, when you don't hear him. You know, it's crazy, though, is even when you do that, he's still moving. I mean, he's, he's not absent. He's still there. He doesn't turn his back on you. You know what I mean? I, my prayer for us is that we would be an even if church. See, this is what's interesting. When you look at their statement, obedience to God was more important than life. Obedience to God was more important to them than life, than living. You know what I mean? Are, are we signing up for that? Are, are, is, for us, is it more important to obey God or to keep breathing? That's a hard question. Like, let's be real. You know what I mean? So let's think about it. What has God called us to do? Well, we know God's called us to pray without ceasing, right? That's obedience to God. We know that God has called, to, called us to love God with all our heart, our soul, our strength, which translates basically to our, our thoughts, our emotions, our whole being, and our opportunities. That's what it means to love God with your heart, your soul, your strength. And then it says to love others as yourself. Here's a big one. God's called us to evangelize. All of us. Right? The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. Now, here's what I've learned. Some of y'all are like, man, I don't have the gift of evangelizing. Oh, I'm going to disagree. Let me tell you what I, I learned through the presidential debates and the election and through COVID. There's a bunch of people good at evangelizing. You just evangelize your politics and your beliefs with COVID. What would happen if we changed that to the gospel? You know what I mean? 
Oh, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did this. Okay, and then you got believers. You know what that tells me? You have influence. What would happen if we would use our influence for the kingdom of God? Because that's what he's told us to do. He's told, oh, Jesus. He's told us to focus more on his kingdom than what's going on around us. Jesus, Jesus, uh, they come up to him try to trap him. They're like, hey, should we pay taxes? Because the, the Jews didn't think that they should. But it, it's a trap because if they say, if he says no, then he's in opposition to Rome. If they say yes, he's in opposition to, to uh, the Jewish community, to the religious leaders. It's a trap. Should we pay taxes to Rome? Uh, this is what he says. Give to Caesars what's Caesars. Give to God what's God's. Right? He didn't say, hey, I want you to only give to Caesar if you believe in who's in charge. He just said, do this, do this, go make disciples. That's it. That's it. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Go make disciples. Listen, all of you have a gift of influence. It just needs a focus. You have a gift of influence. It needs a focus. And the truth is, is we all need some people in our life that tells us that need that that have permission to tell us when our focus is off. They can say, hey, listen, you're spending too much time in this area. What would happen if you spent that much time with God? Or what would happen if you would spend that much time telling people about God? What would happen if you shifted your post from political conspiracy theories to the gospel? Guess what's coming next year? We talked about this last week. There's another presidential campaign. Guess what's going to happen in our country? Chaos. It's real. But we certainly... Look at Genesis chapter 1. The world is chaotic, and what does God do? Bring order and peace. What does that mean? The church has a solution to the chaos that's going to take place in the next couple of years. What we're seeing in our country... I, went, I told you all I went to that that um, conference uh, last week, and it was about leading through misinformation and conspiracy theory. And um, it was interesting. They had three different speakers, one from a faith-based organization, one who was a political scientist and an expert in misinformation and conspiracy theories from John Brown University, and then another was a, um, from the Department of Homeland Security under the Trump administration. So three different, we have government entity, we have an educational entity, and we have faith-based entity. You know what their big conclusion is? What we're seeing out out in the world is actually a church problem. It's a church problem. It's It's not them versus us. The reason it stands as them versus us is because we're not fighting for unity. We're fighting for our personal stances. The gospel, the finished work of the cross and the Holy Spirit in our life reestablishes the human relationship back to Genesis 1 and 2. That's what the gospel does, right? That's what the God, it, it reestablishes our relationship. So this is what they say. Let's go back to it. They say this. They say, our God is able. That's a faith-based statement, right? We agree with that, right? Our God is able. But I think the most faithful statement in that whole thing is even if, even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him, even if he doesn't. And I've said this, my prayer for us is that we're an even if church, like even if God doesn't move again, even if if the only thing we got was salvation, I'm still going to worship him. 
Even if he doesn't bring healing in the things that I'm bringing, that I'm praying for healing, I'm still going to chase the king of kings. Right. Even if he doesn't bless, bless my bank account when I'm in a tough situation, like I'm still going after God. And that's the place that we've got to grow to. Right. Even even if is a statement of what? Determination. How determined are we? Is our determination circumstantial? Well, I'm only going to chase God. I'm only going to keep him first if he answers my prayers. That's not faith. That's manipulation. You can't manipulate the king of kings. I'm just going to throw that one out there. You know what I mean? This is what I like about the statement of even if. The, the statement of even if is the revealing of their will to God's sovereignty. Or the submission of their will to God's sovereignty. Now, I think sovereignty is something we struggle with here in America. Why is that? Because we're a democracy. In a democracy, I get a say. In a democracy, I get a vote. Sometimes in democracies, people throw fits when they don't win. But when it comes to God's sovereignty, only the king of kings gets a say. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't live in a democracy. You live in a monarchy. And, the God, and what God says is what goes. I had, I had a conversation with a friend of mine one time, and his kid had applied for this school, and we had been praying for it and all this, and then he got a, a letter of rejection. He sent me a text message. He said, Matt, I'm ticked. He's like, why are you ticked? He's like, well, my son applied for this school, and he didn't get in, and I think he's more than capable of, and those guys are da 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 and you know, no bad words. That, that's not what that means. But he was just like upset, you know what I mean? Like, da da and I was like, man, well, maybe God's got a, a different plan for him. And he goes, no, that's a churchy answer. <laughs> Said, or God's sovereign, and what he says goes. I didn't think about that. <laughs> just like, you know what I mean? But sometimes that's what it is in our life. Sometimes the things that we're throwing a fit about are, are, are attached to our own emotions, our own um, will, our own plans. And is God able? Yes. But does he always? No. No, not, not always. Uh, perfect example, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 um, there's a Roman centurion. He runs up to Jesus. He's like, man, my servant is sick. I love him. And God's like, I've never seen faith like this. He heals him from a distance. Doesn't even touch him. The next passage, there's a funeral going through town. A mother has lost her son. Jesus is moved by compassion is what the Bible says. Raises him to, raises him to life. The next passage, John the Baptist is in prison. He's like, are you the Messiah? Because with the Messiah, he was supposed to what? Set the captives free? See, John had that verse messed up because the captivity he wasn't talking about was prison. He was talking about from sin. Yeah. If you're the Messiah, are you the guy? Yeah, I'm the guy. Just tell him what you see. And he's like the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind can see. Guess who didn't get set free? John the Baptist. In fact, he got beheaded. Is God able? Yes. Is God good? Yes, but even if he doesn't move on my behalf, even if he doesn't answer what we're praying for, will you still worship him? Will you still worship him? I'm asking our worship team to come up. Y'all good? Every turn neighbor say, you good? I want to give you this real quick. 
um, just in, in light of God's sovereignty, something that we need to remember when it comes to God's sovereignty is that every no has a purpose. Every no has a purpose. Think about when you're raising your kids. Bradley does this a lot. He'll, be, he'll ask for like candy, and then 15 minutes later, he'll ask for candy, and then two minutes later, he'll ask for, for more candy. You know what I mean? And, and the first time, we may say yes, but the second time, we tell him no. The third time, we'll tell him no. Well, why don't we give our kids candy after candy after cav- candy? You ever pay a cavity bill? The no has a purpose, right? The same is true with God. If what we believe, okay, listen, if, if we as parents who love our children, we want the best for our children, we want to give our kids every opportunity in the world, would tell our kids no because we love them, then we have to understand the same is true with God. That God would tell us no because he loves us. That every no, because God is sovereign, every no has a purpose. You know what I mean? Every no has a purpose. The, what I would encourage is just to keep worshiping him through the no to the next thing. When he tells you no, okay, God, you're still good. I know you have my back. I know you have me at the forefront of your mind. I know the Bible says that your thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand. So I'm going to keep chasing you. I'm going to keep worshiping you. Even if you say no, you're still God. Even if you say no, you're still first. Even if you say no, you're still good. Even if I sinned, you still died for me. Even if I'm sick, you're still good. Even if you're quiet, you're still there. Even if I ran away, you didn't give up on me. Even if. So how's the story end? King is ticked. He's not happy. Bible says he heats it up seven times, heats the furnace up seven times. It's just a fancy literature way of saying he maxed it out. It was so hot that the guys that threw them in the fire died. What does that imply? That it would have been impossible for these guys to survive. Impossible. So they tie them up. They throw them in the fire. Here's verse 23. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie them up and throw them in the furnace? Yeah, we did. Well, look. I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar, 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 came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. You remember what he said before? There's not a God in the world that can save you. So from not having a God now, you're servants of the Most High. You know what happens if you have even a faith? People see the Most High God. Maybe it's for that reason that God put us on the planet during the most tense time in our country's history. It's because he saw each and every one of our faces and said, no, that's the person I need to point people to the most high God. That's the, they're going to be the ones with the resilience to make it through, to stay determined, to not defile themselves. That's who I need right now. 
That's who I need in Paint Hill, in White Deer, Claude, Canyon. That's who I need. I need, I need, I need you. Right here, right now. Why? Because it points people to the most high God. He tells them to come out. He says, come here. It says they stepped out of the flame. So we saw last week that when they were determined not to give in, not to follow the culture, that God gave them favor, God gave them gifts, and and ultimately God gets seen and God gets known. Right? And here he does it again. You know what this tells me? It doesn't matter what's going on out there. And again, I said this last year. I'm not telling you bury your heads in the sand. Go vote. Do whatever. But you're... The most important thing you do with your life is not going to be representing a political party. It's going to be representing the king of kings. And what we're seeing is that he moves in the lives of those who are determined to represent him first. That they're determined to represent him first. And and I love this because this is what we don't pay attention to. Did you notice he didn't take them out of the flames? He met them in them. You know what that means? If we look at the direction of our country, it's going to become pretty, I'm going to stay pretty hostile for Christians. Country's doing everything it can to remove God from, from our schools, from system, our constitution, all of that stuff. And the place where you experience God the most may be in the heat of the fire. Why is that good news? Because in the heat of the flame, the Bible says that, they, that their clothes didn't get burned, their hair didn't get, they didn't even smell like fire. I mean, it was like a hot tub, if anything. They weren't, you know what I mean, just chilling in there with God. And I think that's something we need to hold on to as we get ready to walk out our faith is that God may not deliver us from the fire. He just may meet with us right there. And listen, if God is with us right there, there's not a better place to be. I mean, in the flame with the King of Kings. So, here's my encouragement, church. When we walk in, when we walk forward, how determined are we going to be? How determined are we going to be to live for what matters most? You know, it's, it's something uh, the next generation or the, the, this generation of pastors trying to ask and, and answer is the question to, the, to how sports are, have taken over. And listen, I played sports. I grew up playing sports. Don't hear me say I hate sports. That's not what I'm saying. I love sports. I watch baseball all the time. Sometimes sports becomes first. Let, let me let me ask you: If you look at the statistics of kids going pro, not great. Is your your kid a great athlete? Heck yeah, believe that. Are they going to go pro? Look at the numbers. I'm not saying give up on it. So what what good does it do if I give my kid every opportunity but never take him to the King of Kings? 
You see the things fighting for control in our life right now? Here's what I think. I think God reveals himself to those around us when we're determined for the right things. I do, when we're determined for the right things. So how determined are we? Are we going to keep God first even if the president we vote for, president we vote for doesn't win next year? Are we going to keep God first even if the thing that I'm praying for doesn't happen next year? Are we going to keep him first even if the breakthrough that I've been waiting on never happens? Is he able? Yes. But is he sovereign? Yes. And every no has a purpose. And even if he doesn't move, he's still good. Can we hold on to that truth right there? Even if he doesn't move, he's still good. Massey, stand with me. As we get ready to close out in worship. something a little different. If you feel safe, I'm going to ask you to hold the hands of your neighbors next to you, and we're going to pray that each and every one of us get even if. The reason I like this is, you know, back in the culture in Ephesians chapter 6, the strength of an army was determined by how well they could lock shields and stand together. And for us to have an even if faith, it's going to require us to lock shields and stand together. So dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much for this church. I thank you for everybody here, everybody watching online, and for the believers across the world. God, and I, and I pray that we would remind ourselves that you are the King of Kings. That the earth is yours and everything in it that you have the final say, but every time that you say no, it's always for our good. So God, despite what happens in our future, give us an even if faith, a faith to keep you first, even if it doesn't look the way we want it to, a faith to keep you first, even if our kids don't experience the freedoms that we did, a faith to keep you first, even if the struggle is longer than we thought it was gonna be. God, and I pray that as we walk that out, that you would use us like you did these three to show people who the most high God is. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Hey, that's the message. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it inspired you. I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. In fact, if you would like to join us as a part of our online campus and you would like to watch the video as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing week.